how do I deal when you say no to the desires of my heart? I'm pretty sure that a millennial sent us this one, right? Just from how it's going, how do I deal, right? It was almost in italics. How do I deal when you say no to the desires of my heart? So the question I think we're dealing with here is a question of managing disappointment. And I was so glad to get this question. I was so glad to have the opportunity to walk with you through it. Interestingly, I'll get to um, revisit some of the content that I just dealt with in a cursory way several weeks ago when I talked about my prayer life and the ways in which I've been learning to pray over the last three years. And I got some questions from some of you about that. It seemed to some of you that I was suggesting that if you pray, God will always answer. And uh, I said, of course, in conversation with you that uh, that week wasn't a week where I was digging deep into the theology of prayer. But we get to uh, go there a little bit tonight. So I hope that this answers some of the uh, questions that you may have had around the concept of disappointment. Let me uh, define the terms for you tonight. Disappointment from the word disappointed, defeated in expectation or hope. That's powerful, right? It kind of hits the nail right on the head. Disappointment is to be defeated in expectation or hope. So something you were expecting didn't come through, something you were hoping for didn't happen. You find yourself defeated in expectation or hope. Anybody ever experienced that? Wave at me if you're brave, right? Everybody. Everybody has experienced disappointment. I've been so disappointed in my life so many times. As I sat down to write this sermon, I wondered how deep I should go. And I quickly realized I shouldn't go very deep because I would make you all totally depressed. (laughs) That's literally how much disappointment I have dealt with in my life. And it's weird, right? You look at somebody else's life and you think it might be perfect. I have no idea what you think of my life. But I know that when I look at the lives of people in my social circle, it sometimes seems to me that their life is perfect and I'm the only one who's dealing with difficulty. I have been disappointed so many times. I'm disappointed that I'm not 6'3". My whole teenagehood, I prayed to the Lord that he would make me 6'3". I wasn't just barking up a tree for no reason. My grandpa Homer was 6'4", so there was at least a chance that I might hit 6'3". And I was a football player, and so, of course, I wanted to be as big as possible so that I could play as long as possible at as high a level as possible because when it comes to football, size is a skill. So I prayed to be 6'3", but I'm 6'1 and two-thirds of an inch. I'm disappointed with my height. If I'd had that extra inch and a half, I probably would have been able to play a little bit longer. I was disappointed not to be 6'3". I'm disappointed looking back that I left the church I planted in Toronto back in 2001. When you plant a church at 26 and it blows up in a good way, when it uh, grows and grows and grows and grows and grows, you're 26 years old, you think you know everything, you think it's always gonna be this easy, you think that uh, you know, a thriving church is no big deal. And so you leave it to your associate pastor and you move on to what you think will be greener pastures only to find that what it actually leads you into is almost 15 years of uh, privation and near despair. So no joke, if I had to do it over again, I'd still be pastoring in the heart of downtown Toronto. I'm disappointed that I left. I'm disappointed that I didn't sail the world in my 20s. We're funny, we say to our kids, do something fun when you're 20. Nikki and I did something fun 
when she was 20 and I was 22 and ended up with four kids and it kind of eliminated the whole sail around the world thing. So we've had lots of one kind of fun, but not so much of the other. It's our fault. I'm disappointed that I didn't go to sea, but I often say if I did, if I had gone to sea at 20, I probably never would have come back. If I hadn't come back, I wouldn't have met Nick. I wouldn't have had my children, my sweet son Jordy's on the camera tonight. I wouldn't be here tonight preaching to you and to you at home. But I am a little disappointed that I didn't sail the world in my 20s. So when I go sailing on Lake Ontario these days, I pretend it's the Pacific. <laughs> I'll touch on that in just a minute, finding joy in the simple moments. You probably know, like me, that by the time you hit 30, life basically is disappointment. I mean, am I right? Like, this is as mundane as, like, you go to Tim Hortons to get a coffee, and it's not piping hot. How many times a month has that happened to you? Like, six? So disappointing. You go to McDonald's to get an Egg McMuffin, sometimes it's awesome, sometimes it's not. It's so disappointing. Sometimes your kids bring home an 87, sometimes it's a 67. You mow your lawn, and a week later you have to mow it again. I mean, I could go on, stop me if I'm boring you, <laughs> right? <laughs> You're like, Todd, this is very depressing. I know. In your 20s, you still think life is good. Once you hit 30 plus, you're like, oh boy. The question is, how do you deal with that? Especially if you feel like God has let you down. Is that the toughest of all? You feel like God has let you down. How do you deal? when he says no to the desires of your heart. I love you, so I have 11 strategies for um, dealing with disappointment out of James 4, Matthew 7, and Philippians 4. So I get to preach like a Pentecostal tonight. I'm actually gonna take you to three different passages. Starting with um, James 4, verses one through four. We just preached through James recently, so you will hopefully remember these words. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself, makes herself an enemy of God. If you want to learn to deal with disappointment, the first thing you need to do is to check your harmony. Check your harmony. James 4, verse 1, your passions are at war within you. Simply put, we're caught between heaven and hell. Can you relate to this? We're caught between heaven and hell. You're made to be God's friend, and yet you are his enemy because of sin. Even after you come to faith in Christ, as you begin awakening into new life in Christ, your sin nature is still with you. You are not yet what you will one day be. You are being conformed to his image and likeness over time. But even the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, two-thirds of the New Testament, famously said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Wretched man that I am. The great apostle of the Gentile church, the writer of the New Testament, even in his maturity as an adult, as a Christ follower, as an author of what we today cherish as Holy Scripture, if even he found himself caught between heaven and the real world, 
Why should it be any different for you and me? Here's the point. Your disappointment might be a gospel issue. I would almost be so bold as to say that the degree to which you understand the gospel is the degree to which you will not suffer from disappointment. And I know that it's a sliding scale, and I've said that we're growing from glory to glory. You may have experienced this. As you get to know Jesus more and more, as you get to deep in your bones understand what it means that he went to a Roman cross where he suffered and died in your place for your sins, paying the penalty for your sin that you should have paid, a penalty you never could have paid for the wages of sin is death, As you come to understand that he died the death you should have died, and because he was God, he rose again victorious over the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell once and for all. As that seeps down into your bones, you will find yourself freer and freer from disappointment. So, if you're suffering from disappointment today, just examine your heart and see if you have a gospel deficiency. You might need to do some work understanding what Christ has accomplished for you in deeper measure. You can do this by checking your schedule. You can check your cash flow. I think if you're honest with it, there's a very good chance that you're out of sync with the heart of the universe to some degree. And I just want to say that I am out of sync with the heart of the universe to some degree. Let the thought of perfect pastors perish from God's church. Famous pastor that I respect deeply was forced to retire from his church in California this week because the church decided that he wasn't perfect enough. And I was so deeply grieved because I thought, gee whiz, if perfection is the qualifier, I have to be the first to resign. So I say that so that you watching at home, those of you sitting here with me tonight, If you feel out of sync with the heart of the universe to whatever degree, I don't want you to feel guilty about it. I just want you to admit it, to acknowledge it. And then by God's grace, I want to invite you to move through it. Somebody say amen. Move through it. Second thing you can do is check your appetite, verse 2. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Desire here is the big New Testament word for desire, epithumia. It's the word for lust. I've taught you about this word a couple years back when I preached you through 1 Peter. Epithumia, an inordinate, obsessive longing. You suffer from inordinate, excessive longing for something you desire and do not have. You covet and cannot obtain. Covet. Again, here, if you look at the original language, it's very helpful. Hopefully this blesses you today. To covet means to boil with jealousy. This is a little different than garden variety. um, You know, I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good. I would call her. I wish I had a rabbit in a hat with a bat and a six-four father. Should I keep going? I wish I was like six foot nine, then I could get with Lee Yoshi. Yoshi don't know me, but Yoshi's really fine. Okay, this is not that kind of, I wish I had something else. This is an inordinate, obsessive, longing, covetousness is boiling jealousy. 
Look, if the cheeseburger is talking to you, you got problems. Okay? Doesn't have to be a cheeseburger. Whatever it is, you know what it is. Start starving that thing. Starve it. Somebody say amen. Right? Start starving that thing. If your friend's Instagram life is making you hate your real one, it's time for a fast. Somebody say, touche, preacher. Do you ever experience... Wow, their life looks great. It's fine to say, wow, their life looks great. As long as you don't follow it up with, man, my life sucks. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Check your appetite if you want to deal with disappointment. Third thing, check your friendship. Oh, this is so good. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. James 4.4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself, makes herself an enemy of God. This is not just friendship with the world. This is friendship with the world system. With the way things are. So if you want to deal with disappointment, learn, you'll love this, you crazy golf people. If you want to learn to deal with disappointment, a little more dissident living, please. Okay? A little more rebelliousness when it comes to towing the line that society suggests. A little more opposite game, please. Stop following the herd. I mean, do you really need that shiny new thing? Or is the act of purchasing and possessing just a socially approved narcotic that you are using to numb your pain? Somebody say touche, preacher. Nobody? Or is it just me? Yes, I do. I do sometimes buy a chocolate milkshake on the way home from a meeting because I did a good job. <laughs> Who are you taking your cues from? Think about this. Who are you taking your cues from? Verse 4, part B. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world. You know what this is in the original? It's mind-blowing. I hope I'm introducing this to you for the first time. Otherwise, maybe you should preach. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world is this in the original. Therefore, whoever is being counseled to be a friend of the world. <laughs> Who's your counselor? Who are you following? Are you following the rest of the lemmings as they rush towards the cliff? Or are you following the wonderful counselor? Cultivate the right friend if you want to deal with disappointment. And let's flip to Matthew 7, shall we? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son or daughter asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If she asks for a fish, we'll give her a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? I mean, somebody give the Lord a praise in this house. You can say it. Don't be shy. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. He's a good, good Father. 
He's a good father. So keep on asking, keep on believing, keep on living like it's already done, keep on expecting more, keep on cultivating your friendship with daddy. If you wanna deal with disappointment, point number four, keep on asking. These words here in the Greek, ask, seek, knock, these are active, present, continuous words. Keep on asking. Keep on asking. So here's what I want to ask you. Receive it. What is the continuous ethic of your life? I mean, hopefully that cuts you good. Sometimes a preacher got to cut you. What is the continuous ethic of your life? You know it, and I know it. Doing push-ups leads to being able to do more push-ups. Not doing push-ups leads to being more flabby. It's a simple law of the universe. I love you. You might be disappointed because you're spiritually flabby. Just saying, you're welcome. I'm so glad I came to church. But am I right? Not at me if I'm, somebody wave at me if I'm helping you tonight. You want to find spiritual flabbiness in your life and excise it. No one can do this but you. I can't preach good enough to make you spiritually mature. Worship team can't lead worship enough, well enough to, to, to bring you to maturity in Christ. People in our church can't do enough good acts to make you good. You have to do the push-ups yourself. You have to do them. You have to do them. You have to do them. And if you want to learn to deal with disappointment, you need to keep on believing, point number five, and point number six, like it's already done. Why is this section so amazing? Because if you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be opened. So here we come to the crux of the issue. Why, when I sometimes ask, do you not come through? Here's the heart of the issue. Friend, most of God's friends, at least those whose stories were powerful enough to be recorded in the Bible. Hear me now, church. Most of God's friends lived with an it's already done ethic. They lived with an it's already done kind of attitude. Hebrews 11 bears this out. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their condemnation, or their commendation, my, my bad. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Woo. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. 
Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered, receive it, him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Here it is. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, receive it. They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. I mean, somebody shout in this house. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. These all died in faith, not having received the promise. How did they die? They died having seen the promise from afar off. But even though they only saw it from afar off, they received it and acknowledged the fact that they do not belong here. They acknowledged that they were strangers and sojourners in the earth. And they were seeking a better country. They were looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. They desired a heavenly country, and that is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. My dearest friends, our hope is a future hope. Any goodness you experience along the way is icing on the cake. Did you receive it? Our hope is a future hope. Any goodness you experience along the way is grace. It's just grace. That's why you can be thankful every time you experience a good thing. I told you off the top, we come to this moment. This is not what I was in 20 years ago, but receive it. This is good. This is good. And gloriously, anything disappointing that you suffer along the way. You know what that does? Your suffering conforms you to Jesus. Does it not? Does the New Testament not clearly teach that that is the point of suffering? To conform you to Jesus, our suffering Savior. And is not being conformed to Jesus the greatest good there ever was. If the story is true, absolutely. Because if the story is true, he is the king of glory. He is the king of glory. The Lord strong and mighty. I always go to Handel's Messiah when I get happy. If, woo, if I get to be conformed to the image and likeness 
of the King of Glory. Today is a very good day. So I am going to, point number seven, keep expecting more. Point number eight, because my daddy is good. I mean, somebody shout. Your daddy is good. My daddy is good. We get this out of Matthew 7, verse 11. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? So here's the difficult question. How can I keep asking for more when I've been disappointed so much? This is my best day. This is my best point. This is my best moment. I know, you'll see, just watch. How can I keep expecting more when I've been disappointed so much? Because in Jesus, you're learning to act like children. Truly I say to you, unless you repent and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18, 3. And unless they have been fearsomely abused, which is a topic for another sermon, unless they have been horribly mistreated consistently over the course of years, children always hope, just like they always love ice cream. I don't know about you, but I have never, never met a kid who doesn't like ice cream. And if you know one kid who doesn't like ice cream, I don't want to hear about it. Don't send me an email on Rain on My Parade. No thank you. They, uh, they don't just like ice cream. They love it. And so yes, I am an adult, so when I buy ice cream, I buy Haagen-Dazs. And no, they did not pay for product placement. <laughs> Kids love ice cream, just like they always hope. So next time you get yourself an ice cream cone, Make sure you get it in a cone, mind you. Why? Because that's what kids do. They only start asking for cups when they get smart enough to realize that they'll get more ice cream. Or because their parents are 30 plus and so beat down by the disappointments of life that they just can't handle the mess. But uh, next time you get an ice cream, get it in a cone and ask Jesus to make you more like a child. That's called praying with the body. You want to finish this, son? I can't finish it as I preach. You maybe give it to Jordy, he'd love it. He's still a bit of a kid after all. 
Somebody clap for Pastor Todd in this house. Come on now. Every time you get an ice cream cone, you have an opportunity to ask Jesus to make you more childlike. And as soon as you've asked Jesus to make you more childlike, ask the Father for something more. Remember the persistent widow. Told you about her. I've been learning to love her over the last three years. If you want to look up her story, I won't read it now for the sake of time. It's found in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. The story is simple. She wants justice. The judge won't give her justice. So she pesters him day and night, day and night, day and night, until finally he says, enough already with this woman. Give her what she wants. And it's Jesus who tells this parable, mind you. And he turns the corner to encourage us to, dare I say it, bother God with our prayers. What's beautiful about this concept is that your Father in heaven is not an unjust judge. So keep asking Him for more while being full of hope and ice cream. It's a title for a future book. I literally stopped and wrote it down. Hope and ice cream. And then point number nine, 10, and 11, surrender your anxiety prayerfully, humbly, thankfully make God the focus of your requests and let God's peace guard you because of Jesus. We come now to the beautiful, the powerful, the epic Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, receive it, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 6 is powerful. Do not be being worrying about anything. You should say, anything? Yes, anything. Do not be being worrying about anything. Anything? Yes, anything. Let me just remind you, that developing to the point where you no longer worry about anything does not require you to achieve something. We're not looking for some kind of superhuman spirituality here that you have to achieve. You have to like, you know, bare knuckle it, like hang on for dear life and try to achieve that point where you stop worrying about anything. You know what you need to do to stop worrying about anything? You need to surrender. You're welcome. Admitting you can't do it is the first step. Then pray, like the persistent widow, humbly. Why do we pray humbly? Because we are asking something of someone who is in authority. So pray humbly while letting, this is the best, letting thanksgiving be your act of worship. With thanksgiving, receive it. I can't wait to tell you this. You know what Thanksgiving is in the Greek? Get a load of this. Eucharistos. From which we get the English word Eucharist, which is the formal word for communion, which is the central act in Christian worship and has been for thousands of years. The real Eucharist is a thankful heart. Someday you'll shout at your preacher. (laughs) 
Pray persistently, humbly, with thanksgiving, with God as the focus of your requests. Verse 6, let your request be made known to God. Here's what I'm finding interesting about prayer. The more I pray, the more I find God becoming the center of my affections. And though I'm praying for things and about things, I find God becoming the center of my affections as I pray. Why is this? Because when I pray for something beautiful, I am praying to the beautiful. All things beautiful have their rootedness in Him. When I'm praying for something good, I am praying to the good. All good things find their roots in Him. This is why as you pray for things, you find yourself learning to worship He who made all things. And here's what is miraculous. As you consistently, persistently pray to God about the desires of your heart, you will find your affections moving through the object of your prayers to the subject of them. You ought to clap for that, right? As you pray persistently, you will find yourself moving through the object of your prayer, the thing you're praying about, to the subject of your prayer, the one who made all things good and who will answer your prayer in according with his will in his time. Move from the object to the subject. And as this becomes your Tao, your way of being in the world, you will become like Abraham and Sarah, sure of your destination and therefore equipped to take the next step in peace. And band, you can join me on stage because I am almost done. I close with Philippians 4 verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me translate it for you from the Greek. Hear it. I hope this makes your day. I hope this literally makes your trip to church worth it today. And the peace of God, oh gosh, receive it, which is being superior to every mental state, shall be garrisoning your hearts and your apprehensions in Christ Jesus. I mean, somebody give him praise. And the peace of God, which is being superior to every mental state, shall be garrisoning your hearts and your apprehensions in Christ Jesus. I mean, I could shout these points. The peace of God is superior to every mental state. Somebody say hallelujah. Okay, claim that this week. The peace of God is superior to every mental state. And who garrisons? Do we know, by the way, who garrisons? An army garrisons, an army, the army of God garrisons. It's an army that has come to take up residence in your hearts and in your apprehensions. First time you find yourself feeling apprehensive this week, remind yourself that there's an army in your heart. I mean, what else do I need to say? Nothing except check your harmony, check your appetite, check your friendship, keep on asking, keep on believing, keep on living like it's already done, like Abraham and Sarah did. Keep expecting more because your daddy is good. Surrender your anxiety prayerfully, humbly, thankfully, making God the subject of your life and let God's peace, which is superior to every mental state, move into your heart and to your apprehensions and let it guard you because of Jesus. And that is how you deal.